0: Well, we're in a, what we're calling a journey through Scripture, and what we're doing is we're taking one book of the Bible every week, and we're taking a look at that on a Sunday morning, like, like right now, and so we're in the book of Jeremiah today, and uh, I wish some, some one of you would have let me know the work involved in this, just to take, and a, 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 my attempt here is to try to, it's my joy as well, but yeah, it's to try to summarize that book of the Bible. Now, I know scholars and pastors that have spent their entire career, like a 40-year career, just working through one book of the Bible. Um, That that just shows us the depth, um, the wisdom that's really in God's Word. So mine is much more going to be like a a 30,000-foot level looking down at uh, each of these books. We're calling it Journey Through Scripture. There's 66 of these books, and we've made it up through... um, a lot of these books that have taught us a lot about history, has talked to, to a lot about uh, God's character. Who is this God? And it's been telling us this narrative. There's this story. There's all sorts of genres within these books of the Bible like poetry, history, uh, wisdom literature, and uh, now we're finally in the prophetical books. And so it's been telling us this story that um, God created us uh, for, for beauty and for joy. And that that beauty and joy and fulfillment, our home, would be in God himself. In fact, we were situated quite um, wonderfully there in the Garden of Eden with incredible stability. All of our needs met. And then as the story unfolds in the Bible, that that story hits a crash. Uh, Humanity falls into sin as the Bible records. And uh, as we get here in the book of the Prophets... They are God's messengers to the, the, their original audience, their own cultural milieu. They're speaking into that audience. So they're not just uh, fortune tellers. They're talking to an original context. And so if you don't understand what you're reading in one of these prophetical books, it's most likely because you and I, we don't understand the cultural milieu and the very original context to which they were speaking it to Western thinkers and San Franciscans. We typically can come to the Bible and just ask, what is this saying to me? And if it's saying something to me, then it's, uh, it's great. The Bible's great. But if it's not and I don't understand it, we can just sort of put it back on the shelf and not deal with it. I'm encouraging us in Journey Through Scripture is to see that God has certain authors who are speaking to an original audience. And yes, that original author is also speaking to us, But it's not just about us as we read in our English translations of the Bible. Uh, it's for a global audience. So anyway, here we are in Jeremiah today. And Jeremiah's main uh, words in this 52-chapter book is going to be words of, of warning. He's warning them about a coming judgment. Judgment is coming. And by that judgment, he doesn't mean Armageddon at the end of the world. He means that the Babylonians, one of the surrounding countries and empires that are rising during that time, are going to come in to Jerusalem and attack them, siege the city, burn the temple, and then those people would be taken off into captivity. And they would be in that captivity for 70 years. And so Jeremiah is a prophet who's living in that day. He's actually telling these people we need to repent. And he's wanting these people to repent of their idolatry, but also the rampant injustice, the flagrant forgetfulness about the poor and the widow and the fatherless. And uh, he's speaking out against it as as a prophet of the Lord does. So he's calling them to repent. And so there's those warnings. And then he gives us hope throughout this book. And so I hope you hear this hope this morning. I hope you hear this hope that that Jeremiah has an opportunity as a prophet to to present God to these people and to us. And and what way is he going to present this God? Think about it with me. Is he going to present this God as a God who's just angry? You you all have sinned, and so God's just angry with you. And you know what he's just done with you? He's going to put his hands on his hip and say, I'm just so dissatisfied with you all. No, no, no. That may be some other God. But Jeremiah has an opportunity to present this God to us. That's his role of a prophet. He's not speaking his own opinion, but he's speaking and he's he's revealing the very character of God. And he's going to say, you've broken the covenant that God has made with you. And that should grieve you. That's why he, Jeremiah, is known as the weeping prophet. He weeps throughout this 52 chapter book. And he's not weeping because he's feeling all this pressure to uh, convert people or it's all up to him. No, no. In fact, he understands that God himself weeps. And so he's telling us as he's presenting this God to us, is that this God, in spite of your rebellion, in spite of all of your brokenness and sin, God is a God of mercy. God is a God of kindness. Kindness gentleness compassion and grace and he's also honest to say that for us to be reconciled back to this God because sin separates us and our relationship with God he says there's going to have to be payment that's going to be made and no no that doesn't mean for us to think well then I've got to increase my morality I've just got to you know work harder at being a good person no, no, that's what religion teaches us. And Jeremiah here, one of the prophets in the Bible, is saying that there's going to be a redeemer. There's going to be a, an actual physical human being, a person, a champion, a representative, a king. And the entire Old Testament has been trying to paint a picture and help us get introduced to who this person might be. Jesus is that character It shows up for us beautifully, powerfully and the New Testament. So the time period, again, that he's he's writing in is 600 B.C. blows my mind when I think about this. Last week, we looked at the prophet Isaiah, and we mentioned, you'll remember last week, that Isaiah was writing 700 years before the birth of Christ, predicting. And if you weren't here to listen to it, you can find it there on our website. But Please listen to it and go back and read Isaiah chapter 53. But Isaiah, that prophet, Promises and talks about with explicit nature the life, the death, and even the resurrection of Christ, 700 years before it even happens. Jeremiah is writing 100 years after Isaiah, 600 years before Christ, and it's during Nebuchadnezzar uh, his, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the king of Babylon. And Jeremiah's living through this siege. He's not just on the sidelines, pontificating, theorizing what. Have happened. He actually lived through it, and it's it's uh, it's in chapter 36 of the book that God is instructing him to take all of your sermons, Jeremiah. Take all of your poems, take all of it, and I want you uh, your essays, and I want you to commit to writing them down. Put them in a scroll. And so Jeremiah uses the scribe named Baruch, and Baruch puts it into a scroll. Baruch is mentioned. There in the book of Jeremiah, in case you come across that name and think, well, what is he doing in here? Baruch also writes some things about Jeremiah in that book. And the purpose for this whole book, you know, you're you're probably asking, um, how does this book fit into the rest of the Bible? What's the purpose? He, Jeremiah, is gently trying to get these people to repent That's what's happening there. Repent of their wickedness and their sin. So some major themes. I'm going to cover some major themes that happen in the book. And here, moments from now, I'm going to use a sample passage, Jeremiah chapter 31, and we'll dive a little bit deeper there. First major theme is in chapter uh, 1 through 24. You're doing a book summary. This is probably uh, what it would look like. Or here's my book summary. Chapters 1 through 24 is that Israel has broken covenant with God. And so this is a part of Scripture, there are many other parts of Scripture, but this is a part of Scripture where this prophet begins to use the metaphor that idolatry is adultery. He uses words like prostitution, promiscuity, and unfaithfulness. He's likening our relationship with God as though we're prostituting ourselves whenever we go after other divine lovers compared with God a faithful God that Robin was just leading us and in, in singing, not about, but singing to, this is a faithful God. This is a God who won't break the covenant. But in chapters one through 24, he's telling them that there is Israel's leaders, Israel's priests even, and Israel's kings have all become corrupt. They've abandoned the Torah and the covenant and it's led to rampant injustice which is a clear violation of Scripture. It's a clear violation to rampantly and uh, flippantly um, be thinking less of others in that way. And yet, despite Jeremiah's messages, they refuse. They refuse to repent. Chapter 5, you may have been familiar with some of these verses I'm going to read. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Run up and down every street in Jerusalem, all of you. Go run up and down the streets, says the Lord. Look high and low, search throughout the city, and if you can find even just one just and honest person, I will not destroy the city. But even when they are under oath saying, as surely as the Lord lives, they are still telling lies. That's the indictment may sound harsh, but there's the indictment. It's actually called hypocrisy. And it's rampant in their day, and I would even say in our day. Chapter 7, Jeremiah goes on a little bit further, and there's this Jeremiah's temple sermon. There's a famous temple sermon that's that's recorded here for you in chapter 7. And people are going into the temple to worship God. That sounds good, right? You know what's happening just outside that temple, like literally on the other side of that wall there? They're worshiping other gods, and some were practicing the horrible Canaanite practice of child sacrifice. That's happening just on the other side of the very wall there. So going to church, go in there and let's worship God. Everything's great. God is good. Blah, blah, blah. And yet incredible hypocrisy happening with the other part of their lives. Which leads Jeremiah to chapter 17, saying, the heart. Do you know this verse? The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? So go interview a a sociologist. Go interview uh, some different people that have their opinion and take on why humanity does what they do. And there's Jeremiah's take on um, our heart, our soul. Chapter 25, in the first year of Babylon's new king's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, God tells Jeremiah to announce that the Babylonian armies are going to come and take them into exile. That's That's explicitly right there. It's laid out in chapter 25. Next part of the summary is chapters 26 through 45 where there's judgment and hope. Please hear the and hope part. Please hear the and hope part. Don't be listening to this right now or leaving here thinking, yep, I knew it. I knew it. I knew God is angry. I had a parent that was angry at me, and that's one, one of the reasons maybe why I don't want anything to do with God. God's an angry deity. And, uh, no, no, God is a God of hope. Jeremiah's presenting this God as a God of hope. So chapter 26 through 45, 29, chapter 29, you'll remember this verse. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will come and seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will bring you back home. There's the last part of that little passage. I will bring you back home. God is already saying, yes, you're going into exile. You've worshipped other idols. They've been rampant in injustice, and I'm going to use the Babylonians to take you off in exile. And yet, I will bring you back home. I'm going to restore you. The story's not over. So, chapter thirty and through thirty-three. That in the midst of this judgment, there's just there's this incredible hope for Israel's future. I don't know about your future. You don't know about mine. But it's it's one of these moments where. This is an application for you and for me, that regardless of the pain, the suffering, the injustice, the turmoil, the ambiguity, or even the numbing success that you may be having right now, God is a God of hope for us. Chapters... 30 through 33, Jeremiah is going to pick up on Moses' prediction. Remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, where he says that God will not forget his covenant. God's going to, you've broken the covenant, by the way. But the story doesn't end there. God's going to remember his covenant. He's going to be the faithful partner in the marriage, He's going to be the one that sustains this union and this covenant. Chapter 34 through 45, Jeremiah is persecuted on and on and on again. He weeps some more and he's essentially kidnapped and taken to Egypt by a group of Israelite rebels. He's exiled himself. Here he is trying to talk to an original audience about an upcoming exile, and yet he himself actually literally experiences it. He's carted off to, to Egypt, he's kidnapped. Chapters 46 through 52, the last portion of the book here, is judgment and hope for the nations. Let me say it again judgment and hope for the nations. So, chapter 46 through 49, God's going to use Babylon to judge the nations around Israel. It mentions Egypt, Philistia, Edom, Moab, uh, Ammon, Damascus, and Hazor. Now, even though God uses Babylon to bring about uh, this, God is not endorsing their violence. God nowhere endorses violence that we might see in Scripture. You just need to take note of that in terms of reading your Bible. He's not endorsing their violence and their idolatry because Babylon also will come under God's judgment as a poetic justice, as a creative, miraculous, very mysterious part of God's justice. Chapters 50 and 51. God's judgment on Babylon is predicted, um, and then in and by the way, Babylon. When you when you even read that word in that place, sometimes in scripture, it's being used as an as an archetypal rebellious nation. It's a type. It's it's uh, going all the way back to Genesis chapter eleven. That God will give this nation over to its own destruction. It's that nation's own desires which is going to lead itself into its own demise and destruction. Chapter 52, Babylon attacks and destroys Jerusalem. The temple's burned and uh, takes the people into exile. You need to take note of this. That's what makes a prophet a true prophet. It actually happens. They're not just on the street corner of San Francisco saying, Jesus is coming tomorrow. Uh, we don't know when Jesus is coming back to this earth again. Or Jesus is coming on and they say a date and, of course, it never happens. That's not a true prophet. A true prophet, the the the, the, the test of that is, is what they're saying happening? And you can go back and look in 2 Kings chapter 25. This is chronicled for us. This Babylonian exile for, for those seven years, it actually happened. Jeremiah said it would happen. Last week when we looked at Isaiah, that there would be this Messiah king, he would be born in this certain way. It, it happened. These are true prophets that the Bible's giving us here. The book ends with hope. Hope. The, book is anyway, the, the captive Israelite king Jehoiakim is heir to the line of David and the king of Babylon releases Jehoiakim from prison and shows him favor and invites him to eat at the royal table for the rest of his life. It's a mysterious ending to the book, but there's this glimmer of hope. that While the book contains this upcoming judgment for them through the Babylonians, God will redeem his people. God will restore his people. God is faithful. So whatever you're going through, Whatever I'm going through, whatever ways we're tempted to think, yeah, but God doesn't understand my circumstances. My circumstances are a lot different than those Old Testament people. Mine's a lot worse. The stakes are much higher. All our stories are very, very unique, and God is faithful. There's hope. Okay, there's our teaser to get you into the book of Jeremiah. There's the narrative summary. So now sample passage. Chapter 31, it's found here for you in the QR code portion of, of the liturgy and uh, I'm going to try to make three points as we go through this and uh, the very first point is why we're homesick, right, I think we're all homesick is is my point and I'm going to try to explain why I believe we are all homesick and the second point is how we can get home, if we're homesick we need to know how to get back home, right, and then the last point is what, what will home be like? What is it that we're truly longing for anyway? Let me uh, read our passage here. I invite you to follow along. Chapter 31, verses 7 through 14, and then verses 31 to 34. Now, this is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Israel. Shout for the greatest of nations. Shout out with praise and joy. Save your people, O Lord, the remnant of Israel. For I will bring them from the north, And from the distant corners of the earth, I will not forget the blind and the lame, the expectant mothers and women in labor. A great company will return. Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths, or they will not stumble. For I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my oldest child. Listen to this message from the Lord. You nations of the world, proclaim it in distant coastlands. The Lord, who scattered his people, will gather them and watch over them as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant because of the Lord's good gifts, the abundant crops of grain, new wine and olive oil and the healthy flocks and herds. Their life will be like a watered garden, and all their sorrows will be gone. The young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. The priest will enjoy abundance, and my people will feast on my good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then in verse 31 through 34, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. Why we're homesick? Do you feel homesick? Does anyone feel homesick? Maybe you're not from San Francisco. Maybe you're visiting today. Or maybe this isn't your, uh, maybe you're not a native. As I, as I get to know uh, San Franciscans, one of the, the questions that uh, gets, uh, gets discussed uh, pretty early on in that new friendship is are you a native? And they might not be that explicit with it, but somewhere in there, there, there's this way of sort of figuring out if you're really a native or not. Um, I'm almost uh, a decade of living here in San Francisco. And I don't know about you. Is this your home? Uh, Is home somewhere else? What even comes to your mind when we say the word home? And we dare not forget homelessness. Tragic. Tragic. Painful. Homelessness that exists not only in our city, but rampant in other parts of our world. Refugees, uh, the nations that are homeless. That's tragic. It's horrible. It's very grievous to God, our maker, and our creator. Jeremiah is writing to a group of to-be exiles. He's already trying to encourage them before the exile happens, before they even get homesick. He's already telling them some things they need to know about themselves, some things they need to remember about who this God is. So when you get disoriented, which you will, when you begin to think that this place is your forever home, which it's not, you need to remember uh, where your true home really is. So he's writing, and and by the way, I just want to look at verse 3. We didn't read verse 3, but I encourage you to go back and look at verse 3 in chapter 31 that our story when we talk about home like where did we come from we can say China we can say uh, Middle East we we can say Africa we we can say uh, wherever uh, each of us may have truly come from but in verse 3 of this chapter it's mentioned that we come from God's love think about that one for a little while you come from God's love God created you out of love. See, this goes, we just went real deep there. This goes beyond your ethnicity. This goes beyond what your birth certificate might say or where your people might live. Verse three says, long ago, the Lord said, I have loved you, my people. I created you and I know you with an everlasting love, with unfailing love. I have made you and I have drawn you to myself our story, your story, the Bible is presenting, different from all other religions, that our story didn't start in chaos, rebellion, sin, disease, racism, cancer, AIDS. Our story didn't start there. That's where we're at now. But the Bible's presentation of our humanity is we started with a glorious beginning called called the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we, we our uh, humanity, our, our representatives there, Adam and Eve, are enjoying that shalom or peace is what it's known as. And I mean perfect peace. The relationship with each other, the relationship with creation itself. By the way, there was no earthquakes, there's no fires. Uh, there's no global warning happening at that time. And perfect relationship with God. That is how our story began. And that's my point with we are homesick. We're not truly home. There's something, I believe, deep inside of each of us, a a, a GPS navigational type system that you and I, deep down in there, we know that we have a different home than this one. Uh, When God created us, he he put that there for us to, to know that that's home. Everyone agrees that something went wrong. People may disagree with what I just said, that that, that the story starts out in the Garden of Eden and that's our home. People are going to perhaps disagree with that, especially if you're not a Christian. But I think Christian or not, I think everyone would agree that something went wrong. However we got to where we are, uh, something's not right about where we're living and what we're experiencing right now. Um, go read the news, go study biology. Um, thing, things are not unfolding in a way that's uh, perfect. I don't think that takes much uh, proving there. So God has made us for this home, but, but we lost it. It's how the Bible records it. We, we fall into sin. That's the Bible's recording of it there in Genesis chapter two and onward, that humanity falls into sin And we have been exiles ever since. Now, the word exile means someone who's barred from their home country. You can't, you're barred. And in this way, spiritually speaking, we have been exiled from our true home because of our own sin. And so, again, let's get back to the original context. The original context here is the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon And then after 70 years, there's going to be this return. Verse eight, look at it with me. He says a great company will return. A great company, that's not a tech company. He's not saying a great tech company is gonna come in and rule. A great company of people. God God has his people. God is committed as a spouse is unbelievably committed to their spouse. Faithful. There's a great company. Those very people who are in exile they're going to return. God is saying through this prophet. Verse 10, the Lord who scattered his people will gather them and watch over them like a shepherd does his flock. And so, so throughout all the, actually all through the prophets, all the prophecies, there's this whole theme of God is going to bring them home. God is going to bring them home. So these next weeks, if this theme comes up again, it's because that's what's true about these prophets is they're saying that you should have hope God is committed to his covenant. Ezekiel does it. He says that God's going to bring you back home and remove your heart of stone and replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh. A heart that can actually respond back to God. God has loved you. How will you respond? When God gives that new heart, one can then respond back in love. Isaiah says and describes this return home like like. Water will gush forth in the wilderness. That's what it's going to be like. I want you to notice the relationship of the tears to our homesickness. Some of us are familiar with tears because this home is painful. This home, either personally or friends, family members, or countrymen, or other human beings are suffering. And so it elicits tears in us if we're truly awake and we give a care. Jeremiah is the weeping prophet because he's feeling that pain. It grieves him what God's people are experiencing. It grieves him the injustice and the racism in his own day. This is a really awesome segue into Jesus do you know the shortest verse in the Bible, what it says? A little Bible trivia here. Two words. Jesus wept. Right there, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. That Jesus, this king, this promised Messiah, this savior of the world, this redeemer. Sounds nice and strong, right? He weeps. He weeps. He weeps. And that shortest verse in the Bible there is regarding Lazarus, one of Jesus' best friends. Lazarus uh, had died, and so Jesus is weeping, not only that he loses his best friend, but he's, he's crying because of what sin has brought into this world, death, disease. So the basic desire of our hearts is to have life last, is to have love last is to be a part of something truly sustainable. And someone responds, well, yeah, I was just on an amazing vacation. It was, it was so, so awesome. Well, then why are you back here telling us about it? Why aren't you still on vacation? It's not truly sustainable. Even the home that you and I try to make, which we should be trying to make that home, as wonderful as that home might be, it still is not all that you and I really want it to be. There's that SNL sketch. Any fans of SNL that might watch this, there's a sketch, I love this one, but it's about, they're all looking on Zillow late at night. Where is the new place I can find? I mean, that's reality, people. We are those people. Why is that? We're homesick is why. We know there's a better home somewhere. We know there's a better reality somewhere. It's where we came from. You could call this the Echoes of Eden. Borrowing from a seminary professor of mine there. Jerem Bars was his name. Echoes of Eden, he would say. Mm -hmm. That longing in your heart. And C.S. Lewis quotes, or C.S. Lewis talks about this in Mere Christianity, that book. Phenomenal book, by the way. He says, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Do you have desires that this home is not providing for you? The answer is not divorce. The answer is not um, fill in the blank. The answer is think, think, feel. You were made for a different world. You came from somewhere else. We've been made for a different world. Psalm 90 mentions, Lord, you have been our home. Lord, you are my dwelling place. Psalm 90 is wonderful. But God is the home that we're missing. God is that place and that person that whenever you and I feel displaced, and for some of our friends who are displaced, this is where hope begins to stream into your heart. And so don't mask your spiritual homelessness. By building a career. Thinking that that will be the ultimate home. That will provide and be the ultimate experience for you. Or building a house or several of them or the family. We're homesick. We're homesick. How do we get back? How do we we get home? Verses 1 through 4. I encourage you to go back and read this in this chapter. But listen to some of the actions of the Lord of how we get back. Well, wait a minute, you said, how do I get back? I thought I was gonna be given a to-do list about how to get back. Well, let's talk about God's commitment and covenant with you to help you get back. Something that God does on behalf of you. That's called the gospel. That's the good news about Christianity. That's the distinctive feature. God is doing something on behalf of, of those who can't do it for themselves. Verses one through four, he says, I will be their God and they will be my people. I will come and give them rest. How does that sound to you if you're overworked? I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you to myself. I will build you up again. And then verses 8 through 11, this is printed there for you. More actions of the Lord. I will bring them from the distant corners of the earth, I will lead them home with great care. I am your father. I will not forget the blind and the lame. I love that that verse is there. Because you could almost read this and start thinking, oh, it's going to be the strong ones that he selects. It's going to be those that can, can you know, strap up their boots and just, and just be, you know, good, energized, hardworking people. And this should make us remember last week where in Isaiah chapter 61... Remember that text where Jesus standing up in the temple reads from that very passage and says, I have come to give sight to the blind. I have come to help the lame walk. I have come to set the prisoners free. Jesus is constantly thinking for the least of these. So, how is God going to redeem his people? I mean, is it going to be through the prophet? Is that what's going to happen? Is Isaiah trying to present himself as the hero and, hey, everyone, just come follow me. I'm convince you that I have such a great plan. Verse 11 is, the answer real quickly is no. There's a different way that God is intending to redeem them. Verse 11 says that no one can bring Israel back, but only God can. God must redeem them from the hands of those stronger than them. Let's jump into the New Testament real quickly to shed some light on what all this means. Revelation chapter five, verse nine, last book in the Bible. And this verse says that the blood of Christ is what purchases for God people from every tongue, tribe, and nation around the world. Right, there's a purchase. There's a cost. We said sin separates us from God. That's the cost. And you can spend your whole life trying to pay that back if you'd like don't do it, don't even try. Rather rely on, trust in, believe in the finished work of Christ through his perfect life on behalf of you and then also his death on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for you. That's what Revelation is saying. It's the blood of Christ that purchases us. Jesus is this redeemer. Jesus is this savior. I found this cool this week, but Matthew the Gospel writer, Matthew chapter 2, quotes Jeremiah chapter 31. He quotes it, and he says that Jesus is fulfilling this Jeremiah chapter 31. Remember when King Herod ordered the execution of all the male children two years old? Remember, remember that? All children two years old and younger, Herod says, go wipe them all out. Go execute every single one of them. It's an attempt to get rid of Jesus, by the way. Do you know where Jesus and his family fled to during that time? They fled to Egypt. Jesus became an exile. Jesus is the exile par excellence. Ties it right in there with Jeremiah chapter 31 and what it's like to truly be an exile. Jesus is the greater Jeremiah. He is the greater prophet. Matthew chapter 16 um, If you read that one, people were confused, thinking that Jesus was some reincarnated Jeremiah. They thought he was Jeremiah. D.A. Carson, an Old Testament scholar, commentary on Jeremiah, writes, Matthew may also see Jesus as a new and greater Jeremiah because they both were suffering prophets. They both spent time in Egypt, and they both weep. Luke chapter 22, Jesus sweats drops of blood as he's about to be crucified. The very night before Christ is gonna be crucified, he's sweating drops of blood. This is what it's costing Jesus to get us back home, to reunite us with God. Luke chapter 19, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He says, oh, how I wish I could take you, Jerusalem, under my wing. As a mother hen does that, takes her chicks under her wing. I find that extraordinary. It's beautiful how Jesus is weeping like a mother and even referring to himself as a mother in that very passage. He weeps. And Hebrews chapter 13 mentions that this cross of Christ is going to be outside the city gate. Once again, we see Jesus is being exiled, kept outside. You remember in the Old Testament how we were looking at it? I think we were in the book of Leviticus, but the Old Testament wanderings in the wilderness where they ended up placing their hands on a goat, sort of transferring their sins to the head of this one goat. It was called the scapegoat. Remember that? And then that goat was just sent off into the wilderness. It was supposed to be an image of your sins being forgiven. It's dealt with. It's sent away. It's remembered no more. Jesus is the true scapegoat. Jesus is that one who's taking upon himself your sin, our sin. And so because of our sin, we deserve this spiritual exile, but Jesus took it upon himself. That's how we're brought in. And so the most beautiful home that you can imagine is a very small echo of this place Jesus has prepared for you. He says, I go away, Jesus says. I go away to prepare a place for you. It is beyond your imagination. Or the closest relationship that you can imagine is a very small echo of this close relationship and this home that God is providing for us. The last point here, what will home be like? Notice this theme of tears again. Again, there's this theme of tears that keep going through the book of Jeremiah and it shows up for us again here. Verse 9 Look at it with me. It says, Tears of joy will stream down their faces when the exiles return home. Or verse 4 God, re- God will rebuild you. You will again be happy and dance merrily with your tambourines. Verse 13, mourning. Your mourning will be turned into joy. God will comfort you and exchange your sorrow for rejoicing. Do you need to hear that this morning? I do. I need that good news. I need to be reminded that the story of what our future home will will look like is that there won't be tears there. Jumping to Revelation again. Revelation chapter 21, verse four. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And by the way, the book of Revelation, he's, he's explaining what life is going to be like when Christ returns to this earth and there's there's gonna be a restoration of all things. Uh, There's gonna be a restoration and so he's saying there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. Lastly, real real quick, let's look at verses 31 through 34. There's this new covenant. He talks about a new covenant and what you need to know about a new covenant is, is it means a new relationship. It means a new relationship with God through Christ that's what God is promising that he's going to do for these people 600 years before it even happens remember Moses was that mediator of the first covenant remember that portion in scripture there in Exodus and and kept going forward where he is instituting that covenant there and he's sprinkling the blood I mean we would have been we would have been like wow that's awesome but we probably wouldn't have felt wow that's beautiful Jesus institutes a new covenant, which is not only powerful, but it's beautiful. It humbles us to think that this very God not only wants something to do with me, but draws close to me through this one called Christ. Jesus is the better mediator, the Lord's Supper or communion. This should ring a bell every time we do this every Sunday. Whenever we're pouring the wine out, we say, that uh, Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. What does that mean? What is new covenant? Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 34 in talking about this new covenant is saying Christ's blood will be poured out for you. That's what new cup. Co- Jesus is wrapping it back around once you get to the New Testament and hear him speak. He's saying that that blood um, and that new covenant there is is going to be my blood. So if you get what we're talking about this morning if you get it, if it's coming to you and God is making sense of all this to you about this hope and we were made for a different home than the one that we're experiencing right now and Christ is the way back and what a little bit of that is going to look like uh, you will want to uh, regularly visit your true home through prayer that's how you and I can visit this true home. We can spend time with God. We said God is home. Pray to Him. Pray to Him. Spend time with this God. Regularly visit that home. This is a wonderful question to ask us all. But are, are, we, are, are we taking advantage of that? Are we receiving that invitation to spend time with God in that way? Visit, uh, visit this home and experience his love and his presence that, that speaks to you and reminds you, I am yours and you are mine. And this is not the kind of gimme prayer. Like, Lord, gimme this. Lord, gimme that. I'm gonna fix or I'm gonna bind or gimme that. This is visiting home in prayer will, will allow you to cry tears of hope. You cry tears of hope. Not despair, but hope. And the second thing, uh, encouragement, is to renovate this world. So revisit your home through prayer. And the second takeaway is renovate this world. This one right now, this temporary home. We live in a temporary home right here and we're to renovate this world as we wait for Christ to return to this world and completely do the makeover project and restoration project that Christ will bring with himself. And again, the book of Revelation, the major part of it is the gospel being taught about what's called the city of God is that we don't leave here to fly up to heaven with wings on our back or however it's been portrayed to you through a Hallmark card. (laughs) Home comes to us. Home is renewed and remade and restored. This very earth. That's why we care about things like global warming and injustice and helping the homeless here. the Christ returns and makes the whole world into the Garden of Eden. That's what the book of Ezekiel talks about. That's what Revelation talks about. God will come down again. He came down once before, remember, when Christ came. That's God coming down to us. God will come down again forever to restore disease, poverty, injustice, homelessness, All forms of exile. God will come down again and restore all of that. Meanwhile, serve others. Be generous. God has served you. God has been generous to you. Meanwhile, faith in the workplace. Go have a career. Go pursue your calling. Push back the effects of the fall that are encroaching like a bully upon us. Renovate this very world through your very vocation. Meanwhile, be careful to look at your careers, your houses, your families, because they can't bear the weight of being home for you. They won't bear the weight. They mean well. They are God's good gifts. But if all of my hope and weight is placed on those things, they will fail me they will leave me feeling homesick all the more. And lastly, meanwhile remember 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 that says as a Christian you are an alien. <laughs> Wait, did he just call me an alien? <laughs> First Peter did, not me. <laughs> you are an alien in this world. You are an exile in this world. You are a sojourner in this world. God is your true home. Let's pray. God, you you are our home. Help us come home right now. Help us return to you the place that we were made for. Help us point others towards home. And Lord Jesus, we thank you, O Christ, for being the weeping prophet who longs to have an intimate relationship with us. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.